Hi, my name is Amanda McGregor and I'm a Director of Product Innovation at NXP Semiconductors. You really need to know what the product is intended to do because the more you can understand the product usage, the better you can build in those optimizations early on. I'm Catherine Speglia, and this is Well Technically, the tech podcast where women do the explaining. Hi, Amanda. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be doing this. Me too. I think it's going to be a fun conversation and one that is very relevant to me as a consumer because we're going to be talking a little bit about connected devices in the home and how that translates to energy use and what device manufacturers can can do about that. But before we get into all of that, I have to ask you, what is an example of a time in which being a woman has empowered you? So I hear this question quite often and it's a really important question, but the way that I like to approach it is when I think about the times that I do feel most empowered, it's not necessarily because I'm a woman, but it's because I feel that I bring my own unique qualities as an individual and that's the moment where they're fully aligned. Um, So where I feel empowered with the qualities that are mine are really where I take the time and space to be available, to listen, um, to show up and be open to engaging in a conversation with someone to learn and have a positive attitude. Um, So when I don't feel empowered is when those elements are missing. Um, But what I want to talk about is as a role model for other women, because that's really important. Um, I do recognize I have many moments where I do have this type of influence. And that's where I think I really do see the value of me being in this role as a female leader. Um, So that could be whether I'm empowering my female colleagues, um, showing up with my qualities and encouraging them to bring their own individual traits to the table and to the conversation. Um, So that would be sort of a professional setting. Um, And then personally, you know, having influence, I think in these times where I'm fortunate enough to be able to work from home and I'm so grateful for that, um, you know, I have a young daughter, she's here with me. Um, And she gets to see what I do day in and day out. And that's been really empowering as being a role model for her um, to see me showing up as myself and not being someone different than I am with her. And I think that's really what I strive to be. Um, And I think one of her takeaways, of course, is I take far too many calls. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I think that's just a reality. We're all living and breathing in the same um, building these days. But that's how I like to think about it. I'm incredibly fortunate to have had an incredible experience. I'm in a profession where there aren't as many women, um, but it's changing. And I'm really excited to see that change and be part of that change moving forward as well. Yeah. And and I like the way that you kind of changed the question a little bit or made it more relevant to how you view being or what being a woman means and what being empowered means, because it's, it's a standard question that I've been asking everyone. Um, but you know, some women are are more comfortable attributing to the, to the things that empower them to their womanness and other women are like, no, it's more than that. Or it's something else than that. (laughs) Right. 
So before we talk about the potential waste or energy savings of some of these connected devices in the home, I want to get a better context for the scale we're really talking about. So can you give me some stats or numbers around connected devices in the home? You know, what is the average number of smart devices in American homes now? And what are some projections? Absolutely. So clearly this is a rapidly evolving market. Um, We have so many more people whose habits are now changing in this new environment. Even before what's happened in the happening, I should say in 2020, um, there was already a significant trend of increasing the number of smart devices in the home. Um, I think from uh, 2016 to 2021, um, we're now at roughly 28% of all households in the United States have a some form of a connected device in the home. Um, and that's actually sort of double the number that it was in 2016. So there's already an established trend of these types of devices making their way into the home for various reasons. Um, we know that some of the most popular are related to security, um, video surveillance, uh, smart doorbells, smart door locks. Um, and then we have the energy efficiency angle, which I know that we'll, we'll get more into. Um, that's motivated the growth of, of that particular segment of, of smart devices in the home. Um, you know, I think that some of the data says, you know, over 1.2, 1.3 billion devices by 2023. 20, uh, that number is likely to change significantly. I think if you look at that data in context of it being published last year, what those numbers look like after gathering data from this year, I think will only increase. Um, But we do know that if you already have a smart device in the home, you're 70% more likely to have another. Yeah, every projection I hear, I believe these projections are just hard for me to really internalize because I live in like a small condo. So I have a few connected devices, that's true. Yeah. yeah, so I have I have much fewer I think I'm realizing that than the average person. So it's hard for me to really understand what like a true connected home looks like, but that that's certainly the trend and like I said, I do have some and I'm also someone who spends a lot of time fretting over my personal carbon footprint. How impactful are these devices on things like energy usage? You know, especially as they become more and more popular worldwide. What kind of impact are you envisioning? So I do have some statistics on that. It's it's very broad, though. I think the details, you know, I couldn't give you the breakdown of a specific home and how it's measured and how it's changing. But if you look at the, the overall trend from, um, for example, the ICT, which is the Information and Communication Technologies kind of Institute, and it's, it's all or a broad term for IT in media, consumer, smart devices. Um, you know, I think it's changed from 3.5% in 2020 to projected to be almost 14% by 2040. Um, so think about how that, you know, is likely to scale in similar percentages in the home. Um, it's pretty significant. You know, you might think, oh, that's not really a, a very big number. Um, it's not a big number like the number of devices we might have, but it's really alarming that that trend is is really increasing. Um, so, you know, it's we do see large OEMs responding to this. So numbers aside, 
Um, we see a general trend in the in the market for the large OEMs to be more conscious about what they're doing with clean energy and um, trying to uh, make great strides in that over the coming years. And they've already made great strides in that. But they're also starting to think more about not just clean energy, but how do we minimize the the energy consumption? Because there's, yes, we can make clean energy, but how do we kind of solve it from the problem from the ground up and be more energy efficient? And in general, is power efficiency for these types of devices a priority for consumers? So that's a really good question. And... You know, I think we have a lot of really conscious consumers out there that do think about it, but really the trend right now is is more about cost and performance as a consumer. Um, you know, we, we tend to buy these smart devices because they're giving us something that we don't have or that we think we need. Um, you know, maybe it's uh, connecting to friends, um, video calls, um, making our lives easier with, you know, uh, smarter refrigerators, um, vacuum cleaners, uh, thermostats. You know, I think there's a lot of um, features that consumers are looking for. They're not necessarily thinking about power efficiency unless it comes down to cost. And that's where we see those who have purchased, you know, thermostats and those types of smart thermostats, I should say, um, that can help them reduce their costs, reduce their energy bill. So that's where they're motivated by power efficiency because it can help them reduce their own cost. Um, however, I, you know, we mentioned OEM trends. There's also, you know, the alarming rate and increase of all the, the tech and the, the power consumption in the home. And we do see uh, federal uh, regulatory agencies starting to put requirements in place on products. They already do have requirements, but they're really starting to tighten those requirements up. Um, and apply them more specifically to these categories of devices um, so that OEMs won't be able to certify and sell their devices unless they meet certain power requirements. Um, And we see that with customers that we talk to. um, And I think that's where it'll become a requirement for OEMs to sell products. Consumers will therefore benefit from that because it's sort of instilled as a a, a practice and it's, it's automatically there. Um, but I think, you know, just in general, the whole, you know, the conversation and the concerns about, rightly so, about climate change and our own personal impact has a lot of us thinking differently. But we have to be careful because for it to really be adopted, it, there has to be a, a cost benefit to, to the consumers as well. That, that's a delicate balance. You want to be able to do good, but also, you know, you want to be able to use the features and and have the right cost point. I'm thinking about how all of my new electronic devices all seem to have this like eco-friendly setting. And I think it's tricking me (laughs) and perhaps other consumers into thinking that these devices therefore won't be causing this, this future problem of energy use. But it sounds like it's a little bit more complicated than that. You know, I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it is complicated. Um, and there's, it's so multi-layered as well with where the efficiencies need to, to be designed in. Um, but there's an awareness. And I think that's one of the most important things initially is to make people more aware that, you know, okay, well, I do, you know, this product does say it's energy efficient or it has a green mode. 
um, okay, that's important. And then you start adding them up in your home and you're realizing, okay, I have a lot of these. Okay. Maybe I'm not so green after all, or what are these products really doing and, and how are they helping the environment? How do I, uh, have fewer of them and still do the same job? Um, how do I replace them less frequently? So there's a lot of questions around that too. So I do have a Nest thermostat, which it's kind of sad, but I've already talked about in a previous podcast episode because I really like my Nest thermostat. And I know that it has this like machine learning element to it, right? Where it learns my, my settings previously and then, you know, sets a schedule based on that which got me thinking about the role of AI and machine learning in this whole conversation, because a lot of times these technologies are kind of held up as well. They can improve energy usage because they can kind of let the user kind of key them into to certain patterns or better ways to save energy. So just in general, what kind of, what role does AI and machine learning play in this whole thing? So it plays an important role, and I think we're only on the very tip of it. Um, you know, I also have a nest, and I've I've really enjoyed having it in the home. Um, it hasn't always predicted um, or maybe learned my habits as well as I would have liked, but I think that's sort of older technology, and it's only getting better. Um, you know, it can only be as intelligent as the inputs it's receiving as well. Um, so th- there's a lot around AI and ML. Um, you know, I like to think that there's an area where ML can really benefit. Obviously, there's the the benefits with the Nest thermostat and other similar smart thermostats. Um, there are other benefits with, you know, maybe you have some blinds on your window that have light sensors and can detect, you know, high lighting conditions, and maybe they close the window, the the blinds to save energy, to save on heating and cooling. Um, and then maybe you can come in and sort of override that with a voice command and, and change the level of control. And, and through that period you know, of um, light and, and voice, it can have some learning and, and start to make more intelligent decisions based on time of day when you're in the room, et cetera. So I think there are some good efficiencies there. Um, I also think ML is very important when it comes to sort of what we call this anomaly detection, um, being able to monitor the health of a device and that it's operating correctly um, because when a device isn't operating correctly and going into a, an unknown state, two things can happen. It can you know, potentially consume more power. Um, it could also be on its way to failing. Um, so when you think about efficiency, it's also in the terms of trying to prevent um, these types of devices from failing and having to replace them. So predictive maintenance up front to help ensure that you don't need to replace it. Maybe you can replace it in eight years instead of three when, it, when it, uh, it's not working anymore. So getting ahead of that, I think, is really important. Um, so there is a, a new way of using ML for this type of detection. You talking actually, about... Even, um, I'm sorry. Even no, with go the, ahead. Detecting, you know, uh, correct operating conditions, maybe it's also... Uh, it can decide it, it can operate in a lower state than it needs to because you're not using it in the way that you think you're using it. And so it can actually uh, shut itself down preemptively without the user doing that. Um, so I think that's really important um, in saving energy as well. You using the, the phrase predictive maintenance when we're talking about in the home is just making me realize like our homes are becoming mini factories 
where now we have to perform like preventative maintenance on all of these like IOT devices. Exactly. We do. And, you know, I think they're all connected. Um, so there is a way to have them, um, sort of maintain themselves, if you will, they can be connected. And, and what if they can automatically call a tech, a technician or notify a technician that you're having an issue and they can call you and schedule an appointment and get ahead of the problem um, yeah. and help you through that rather than you're left with something suddenly non-functional that's critical to your day-to-day life and then you have to do without for several days. Yeah, that's a real value add for a lot of people, I feel like. What has to happen on the hardware level for a product to be built more efficiently? Um, a lot of things. And this is, I'm going to get really excited talking about this. I mean, this whole topic is exciting for me um, and it's very relevant in this time. But when we talk about the hardware element, um, really, there are a lot of tools that we can make use of um, through the whole design flow. but Fundamentally, what you need to do is right at the very start, before you even define the architecture, you really need to know what the product is intended to do. Because the more you can understand um, the product usage, the better you can build in those optimizations early on. And then when you think about how do we design for low power, first you think, well, what does what does low power actually really mean? Um, and, and your device in the home. So essentially you sort of have multiple kind of modes that a device might operate in. Um, when it's running and, and doing all the things that you see it doing, you're making a video call or you're browsing the web or you're interacting with it in some way, um, that's really the dynamic power. And then on the flip side, when you have it pretty fully, pretty much shut down in a, a very low power standby mode, that's what we call the static power or the the vampire power, as I think it's commonly referred to. And so you really want to think about how do I minimize both of those? Because they both contribute significantly. Um, And so I mentioned we sort of try to get ahead of that from the architectural standpoint. Um, So when we do our product concept, we do look at the use cases and then we implement certain techniques, um, you know, we fundamentally choose process technology, um, mixes of transistors, because we're talking about power efficiency, but it doesn't mean low performance. It just means we're very efficient with the performance that we deliver. So we still need to be able to li- to deliver a high-performing product, but be very conscious about how efficient we are with power consumption. And so we have to do the right mixes there. Um, similarly, when we really know how the how the product's being used. For example, is it spending most of its time waiting for a voice command, for example? Or is it spending most of its time, uh, for example, um, a cooktop? Maybe there's a small display with a clock and the clock is always on and that's its low power state. So how do we group features on on the SOC, the chip, um, such that we can kind of isolate them into different kind of power domains and different performance levels? So everything that's needed for this critical on state, we would keep in one particular area and apply a really low voltage and keep it really power efficient. Um, so the overall, the energy use usage is kept really low. Um, so that that's another um, element that we need to look at when it comes to the hardware. Um, very, very important. I think one of the probably most overlooked parts of the power optimization process. Uh, and then we look at things like, okay, when it is truly running, we need to be able to offer different uh, operating modes. 
uh, maybe different performance levels, different frequencies. So how can we dynamically change that? Um, and often if you change the frequency or the performance of a microprocessor, you can lower the voltage. And when you lower the voltage, you lower um, the power consumption. So finding ways to be able to dynamically adjust to the operating conditions is really important. Um, and that's built into the way we architect um, the, the SOC. Um, we also look at um, sort of the overall uh, system and how we connect to different types of memories, low-power memories. So when you think about, you know, I'm right down at the very low level building building the chip that sort of powers everything. Um, but around it, there are many other system components that need to enable the capabilities that we have embedded in our SOC. Um, so that's things like choosing low-power memories, um, having power management that can change the voltage as you drop the performance. So there are a lot of sort of inherent decisions that need to be made upfront um, when you're designing the product. Um, you know, likewise, can you switch off parts of the chip when it's not in operation? Um, we employ a lot of uh, hardware accelerators for video and for graphics. Um, if you're not using the display at that point in time, it would be really efficient to essentially gate or switch off, think of it like a, a light switch, switch off that part of the chip so it's not drawing power. So a lot of these fundamental techniques go into defining a power efficient uh, chip. I do get why that's an exciting question for you. I It's cool hearing you talk about, you know, the nitty gritty details that goes into making some of these devices because they're so easy to use now. That's like the whole point. Yes, I'm a technology writer and all, and all of that, but, you know, I spend more, well, just as much of my life being a consumer of technology as I do being a, a writer of it. And yeah, I certainly don't think about, you know, my Google home when I talk to it and it, you know, it responds right away. And I don't think about all the little things that go into that, you know, all the time. So it's always nice to hear that perspective and have a reminder of how there are decisions being made the whole way. From the user, the experience is so seamless. You don't necessarily know what's going on at the hardware level, but sort of between the hardware level and the user experience is all of the software. And so that's another very, very critical part of how to how to fully enable power efficiency because you can have all the hardware support available but the software has to make use of it um so that's really important and then i think the other area where you know trying to limit the turnover of devices um having them do more for longer and then you know we can even get further into security and and how that impacts as well yeah maybe i should have a whole other podcast episode about the security of these devices <laughs> that would be that's a great topic yeah. wow thank you that's that's a very efficient use of my time do one podcast come up with another podcast while doing it <laughs> um all right well amanda that was all i had for you today so thank you so much for joining me thank you this was really fun and um, i appreciate the the chance to talk about something that is really important to all of us well technically is an art and media production for advertising inquiries contact danny miller at dmiller at artandmedia.com 
Today's show was produced and edited by me, Catherine Speglia.